Hello, Phil here, just popping in before this week's episode starts to tell you some exciting Everybody is Dead Dave news. We now have a merch store. So if you've ever thought, hmm, I'd really like a t-shirt, hoodie, mug, bag or face mask with cartoon versions of Adam and Phil on them, well now is your time. Head on over to every-body-is-dead-dave.creator-spring.com yeah, Sorry about all the dashes there. I'll leave the link in the description of the YouTube version of this podcast as well. Anyway, now we return you to your regular programming. The Dead Dave. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's Dead Dave. What, Tottenham? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's Dead Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is Dead Dave. Hello everyone, welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, our Red Dwarf review podcast, which is hosted normally by myself, Adam Martin, and as always my co-host... That's me, Phil Hawkins. That's him, Phil Hawkins, yes indeed. A podcast where uh, two sci-fi fans come to this show with two different perspectives. Phil is a fan of many a year, been watching since the 1990s. This is my first rodeo, first time around with Red Dwarf. And it's that time again, folks, we're joined by a special guest for this episode. We're joined by Mike Wilson. How you doing, Mike? Hello, um, happy to be here. Yeah, good, good, thanks. No, no problem. Good to have you. And w- what's your history with this program then? Are you are you like Phil? Have you been watching for a while? Or are you more like me? Or do you fall somewhere in the middle? Uh, I'm I'm definitely closer to Phil. Um, I'm, I'm showing my age here, but I've been watching since uh, probably the early 90s when I was a teenager. <laughs> oh, nice, um, nice. So... I was. I remember vividly staying up to watch on BBC Two um, when it was like first going out, uh, mm. and I've loved it since. Like series, I think four was the. I'm pretty sure series four, Camille, which was the first episode, was the first one that I actually ever watched. Oh, and nice. then I went back and watched sort of uh, series one to three after that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was one of those things where a lot of my uh, peers and sort of people that I went to school with were fans as well, and we used to actually have these debates about how. Uh, Oh, it was purist when it was in those first two seasons and it was like a porridge <laughs> style, you know, just two men in a bunk bed in this uh, ship kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm curious, yeah. Mike, you went, you said you went back and uh, watched the ones that you, because you started with Camille. How did you find them? Because I remember when I was a kid, I started a little bit later than you. I started around about series six, uh, five or six. And mm. uh, I remember vaguely watching there being the occasional repeat, but watching them in really random orders. So I'd... I wouldn't like I'd never watched it from the beginning to a point until until I think I got it on DVD in like the early 2000s. Did you manage to watch find the old episodes? Yeah, I would catch the occasional repeats. And then especially when like satellite TV came along and it was constantly on on, on that. But before that, I had been lucky enough, like I said, because I had friends who were even more into it than me that they had lent me like their old VHS videos <laughs> series one <laughs> to three. Um, so I remember watching the three series and the Smeg Ups videos uh, way back in the day. Oh, nice. That's a throwback. I'm, I used to love that. Like I, I sort of caught the tail end of that whole, like lending your, lending your tapes of shows to your mates for like certain things. Mm. Cause I, I, I did that a little bit as well, but certainly by that point I, there was a clear cut off. It was like 2003, four when everyone was, was like moving to DVD but God, that yeah. yeah, that that just throws me back. But um, we are throwing it back today, almost twenty-five years, because we're on series seven, which of course went out in nineteen ninety-seven, first time around. 
Uh, we're on episode five, which is blue, and the synopsis I have here reads as follows. Starbug is travelling through a rather uninteresting region of space. The crew are bored and they begin to nitpick at the petty areas of their lives. Meanwhile, Lister finds, much to his own surprise and horror, that he is missing Rimmer. And that is the synopsis there. So I want to just kick things off by saying um, I've been watching these uh, on the Blu-ray set that was released a couple of years ago. And for for a few of the series seven episodes, I think we've discussed before, Phil, that there's there hasn't been like you know the traditional title sequence, you know, with the theme tune and like clips from the series. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see that again for this one, at least. That's yeah, because they I cut them it. for time previously for bro- to fit broadcast time, which you would think they would restore it for the DVD uh, and the Blu-rays, but they seem to have gone with wanting to keep it as as broadcast. Um, which I suppose is is a fair enough choice. I do have the DVD with those versions on. I'm guessing you guys have the ones that are just the shows. Oh yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, I've heard people in the comments say that like different home media releases have like different you know different discrepancies with like title sequences and things like that. But yeah, the Blu-ray yeah. I believe sticks to. I'm guessing how it was broadcast. So if, if they didn't have a title then, then it, it's it's not on there, unfortunately. Yeah. No series series seven is marketed as like there's extended versions of the first sort of three or four episodes but this one thankfully doesn't have an extended version so we'll be talking yeah. about the same thing no, yeah for sure, for that, sure. that's a good point actually i'm quite glad uh, that it doesn't because I, I where we have gotten that before i've watched because i do have the dvds now i've watched the broadcast version even though the extended version is on there because i didn't want to be talking about scenes that maybe adam hadn't watched or whatever because he's watched a different version so i thought that yeah. was probably the best uh the try best keep, option we, we, we try and keep it as consistent as possible here yeah. on this show <laughs> um so we kick off this episode right off the bat um lister's gone off his spicy food which obviously is a quite a surprise because he's partial to a, a curry and Crichton's obviously a bit suspicious and this this whole first scene is mainly just uh just the two of them I guess feeding off what Crichton's been going through these past few episodes ever since Kachansky's come on board like the paranoia and stuff um before I give my what did you two think I'll start with you Mike seeing as you're our guest today that this whole like first scene if you like with Lister and Crichton what what did you think do you think feel it was a good start to the episode yeah I'm kind of mixed on it because there's the two there's kind of two sides to it in that I like that bringing Kachansky on board give you a kind of new dynamic. Uh, and it was interesting to see Lister kind of try to improve and better himself. And the humour that's inherent in that, I think, is pretty funny. But mm. I already find the Crichton being jealous of Kachansky subplot tiresome. And I know sure, that it's a runner yeah. that goes on. It goes on for a long while. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> I was going to ask both of you how you felt about that, because it's now the third episode in a row where we've had a plot line of Crichton being, you know, jealous annoyed at Kachansky and I'm in a bit two minds about it about whether or not it's getting old or if it's or if it's actually consistent characterization and um, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it I think for me how it came across in this episode was because it is I mean we'll talk about it as we go on it does come up quite a lot this episode and I feel sort of like what Mike said with with the sort of recurring plot maybe if they'd have included like one or two lines every like you know if, if it was there but not like a dominant theme if you like then I'd maybe warm to it more but I, I didn't feel it at the beginning but I think as this episode goes on and you know Crichton keeps mentioning it it did grow a bit more tiresome for me so it does give me one of the funnier moments of the episode though 
um, which is purely by Robert Llewellyn's performance because it's when Kachansky finds the salad cream in the fridge and says, yes, oh, look, yeah. put that there. And Crichton's just like, hold me back, sir, hold yes. me back. <laughs> that, that, was, that was on my potential list of funniest moments. Again, like I say, purely for Robert Llewellyn and how he acts here. I thought that There was is great. a gif of yeah. um, him, of that, of Robert Llewellyn doing the hold me back, hold me back, that's available to use on Twitter and I have used it many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in, that, in this first scene as well, I noticed... Um, I noticed as well, there's an, I can't remember the exact, I should have written it down word for word, but there's, there's another Herman Goering reference. Yeah. Now, this might sound the writers odd for me of this show, that, he seemed obsessed with her, with him, Herman Goering. He, he's yeah. come up in about three different episodes now, hasn't he? Yeah. They do slag him off, which obviously oh, is, yeah. you know, is great because Herman Goering, for, for anyone who might not be aware, Herman Goering was, was not a nice man to put it very bluntly. Um, but yeah, I was just surprised because we literally, I think a few weeks ago were like, oh, there it is again. But yeah, no, I just thought, oh, but I can't remember the context, and it's really, but I should I have written it down. Oh, <laughs> it's go on, it's go a on. cross-dressing joke. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's um, because Lister, I almost made a note that this was a continuity error, because I was like, are they going to mention the fact that Crichton was living with fewer women when they first met him? And oh, he yes, does say, yeah. oh, don't you have these, uh, you know, files from the number five? And Crichton says something like, well... When I cleaned up my cash files, sir, I erased my lingerie database. I didn't see there'd be much call for it unless we had a fancy dress party and you wanted to go as Herman Goering. That's the one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's the Herman Goering joke. Yeah, yeah. No, th- there, there were a few good jokes in this first little bit, I thought, but it wasn't, I don't know, for me, just the the, the whole opening section. It didn't. I didn't feel it went on for too long, which for any regular listeners will go, Adam's saying it's going on for too long again. That's like my recurring theme. But um, no, I just, I feel there were some good lines in there, but I don't know that some, I don't know what it was. It just didn't feel not right. It just felt a bit ploddy, if that makes sense. This whole, mm. th- these first few minutes, including when um, Kachansky comes in, I don't know. It just sort of plodded along a bit for me. Yeah, I think because it's so much of it is, uh, it feels like ground we've trodden before in the last two episodes of Crichton just being frustrated and annoyed with Kachansky that it's kind of it, it maybe it is getting a bit old now um like like you say maybe if they'd put in like a few lines here and there but to build the whole scene around it again was a yeah little, yeah yeah but thankfully after that ends we we head into the we head into the cockpit of Starburg there's a phasing comet that's approaching the ship and they're all at discrepancies about what to do and I did like I did like the bit where Lister doesn't know what a comet is or he says he knows what a comet is (laughs) Chansky is challenging him do you know what a comet is made of are you suggesting that I don't know what a comet's made of yes well I do so what's it made of what's it made of yes you want to know what it's made of yes I do mommy knows what it's made of what sir Tell her, for goodness sake. So, what's it made of? I see, I see. Gas. Some kind of gas. Some kind of gas? Yeah, some gas. Don't know what it's called. Some gassy type of gas. It's made of ice. Exactly. An icy type of gas. That's what I said. Ice. Yeah. An icy gas. <laughs> I think that was good down to Craig Charles's like, comedic delivery as well, because I was thinking yeah. to myself, like, in the hands of a, a a lesser actor or not as good comedian, that joke could have died really quickly, for, for me at least, anyway. 
Um, but yeah, I thought he, he pulled it off really well, that whole What's the Comet made out of. Props to Robert Llewellyn in that scene as well, because he's the kind of selling it behind him, giving it, trying to tell him the, the ice answer. And he's just like unhinging his jaw like, ice. <laughs> and Lister completely misreading it as some kind of gas. And then yeah. the, the, the quality, like he won't admit he's wrong. So when she says it's made out of ice, he's like, that's what I said. It's some kind of icy yeah. gas, you know. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. He's so quick of him, so quick of him. Yeah. And um, there, there, are, there were some good moments in this it surprised me when when they do go through the uh, comet tale and we go into what i called stutter mode because they decided to sort of yeah. stutter the frame rate was a good uh, a good effect i guess um we see cat's hair unfurl and i think is this am i right in saying this is the first time we've seen cat like as cat not as like a different iteration but like uh, you know with his hair down um I've, i'm sure there's some other moment in in past episodes where oh, he maybe. gets messed up hair but I can't I'm, remember exactly what the context is. I'm pretty sure that when it's in series four, when Holly becomes super intelligent and he's trying, he like unplugs her to use his blow dryer because oh, his hair's all over the yeah. place. And That's then the right, end gives yes. up and says he's going to use moose. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he mentions moose here again, doesn't he? He says, never mind the stabilization, stabilization. Where's the hair moose? Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is the thing though, Red Dwarf, like me and Phil have said this before and you, you might agree, Mike, like the, the people behind this, like some of the biggest like plot points, they'll just like never touch on again. But then like the mm. tiniest pieces of continuity, like down to a word or a line will be like referenced and you sort of go, wow. So we'll take, you know, you remember those things, but then the big things they just ignore, which is completely valid. You know, this is a sci-fi comedy. Anything goes, but yeah. One thing I wanted to mention when they're in, going through the comets um, and I don't think it's an area that I've really mentioned before, other than when they've they've gone into song, which we will talk about later oh, as yes. well. Um, but the music during that scene, the incidental music was really good, I thought. And I, I don't remember thinking that about Red Dwarf ever before that the incidental music is good um, or, or particularly stands out. But there was some really good dramatic, you know, ramped up the tension and all of that stuff while they're trying to survive through the comet stream. I, I always notice the music because it's it's Howard Goodall who's like a, a decently well known electronic musician. Um, so I've noticed it like since well since I've been watching, as I say, but um, especially I think in seasons four through six when it's very uh, it's very much one set and you have to rely on kind of special effects and music to do a lot of your work because it's basically Starbug cockpit and. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. I, yeah. To add to that, that I thought the that there were, it was that moment, like you said, Phil. And there's a moment later on in this episode. I thought the instant music was really good. But it, yeah, the, there are moments for me. The one that stands out to me, uh, I'm not sure why. It's the se- uh, series six finale, out of time. You know those last few oh, minutes when you know you're right. Um, you're, yeah, you Rimmer's, are absolutely right. Yeah, when Rimmer's like running to the you know to the last few minutes, basically. I thought that was a really good use of uh, incidental music there. So. Yeah, no, it was. I, I enjoyed this one as well. And on music and special effects, I noticed when they were in the comet tail, like there was a shot of like the ship being hit with, you know, whatever it was. And to me, and now, you know, view regular viewers and I don't have the best eyesight, but to me, when they're in the comet, that shot looked like model work. But then obviously, when they fly out of it, we're back to late 90s oh, yeah. CG. Um, from, from what I've read, it, it was a mixture of model work and CG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I read that Doug Naylor wasn't ha- particularly happy with the CD because uh, CGI because it didn't have motion blur on it, so it looked right. very fake. But um, right. but I think it was a mixture. Yeah. What did you think, Mike? Uh, yeah, the same. I mean, it, it's obviously 
very early computer effects from the yes. late nineties, <laughs> um, and it yeah. shows. But I, I'm I'm with um, Phil. I'm pretty sure that they were using a mixture of both until I think they go full CG in Series Eight. And oh boy, can you tell? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh really? I, I can't wait <laughs> to get that to too. that then and see how it descends. <laughs> No, I think I've said before, though, like, on the whole of Series 7 so far that I've seen, obviously, like you said, Mike, you're right, you, you can tell it's, like, late 90s CG, but considering this is a BBC TV show that probably doesn't have that big of a budget, I can be, I, like, honestly, I've seen worse, like, late 90s CG in, like, Hollywood movies of the time, never oh, mind yeah. a, a BBC TV show. But, yeah, I thought that where, when they came out of the comet, I was a bit like, oh, yes, this is 1997, isn't it? But <laughs> aside from that... <laughs> Um, so they get out the comet, everything seems all fine, and we get the the first reference, of course, to our regular uh, missing crew member, which is Rimmer. Um, Lister's going down to the um, the hold, and he calls Cat Rimmer. And I, I quite like this moment, actually, how, you know, instead of him just saying it, walking out, and then Cat sort of making a joke about it, you know, Lister actually stops and realises what he said. And I don't know, I just kind of liked it. It's a nice... I like when Red Dwarf has these, like small little moments if you like and there are more of them i think but yeah what did you two think of this first like rimmer mention uh, yeah well i i think that those are some of the best parts of the episode because i like it when when they call back to what the show was initially which is that rimmer i mean as you probably know after watching it it, it rimmer's there to kind of keep lister sane by yes you know by him having someone to kind of hate and rail against yeah. so i like when they call back to that and i like it when lister kind of acknowledges that that's kind of that that was Rimmer's role in life, and it's not like with any malice or anything. Um, so this scene and the scene later when he's talking with Kachansky and she kind of talks to him about Rimmer and even says, "Well, that was you didn't really appreciate what he actually did for you because hating him kept you going. So now yes. you don't really have that, you know." <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's so a, that's like... a nice scene later on when when that happens, um, mm-hmm. and it and it is, and and I think I mean Holly is quite back in the early seasons. Holly is quite honest about that and it like owns up like yeah you know I, if i brought back one of your mates then the, you would have gone you would have just gone insane he he will keep you sane yeah. yeah no for sure and as you say we'll get more on the rimmer references in a bit um as lister and cat go to the whole Crichton has a little chat with kachansky which descends into an argument and i think for me this is the point where this whole thing about Crichton being paranoid or thinking about kachansky started to wear on me a bit because like I said, I'm all for having like, you know, odd lines or little jabs here and there. But the fact, again, like like you said, Phil, this is the third episode in a row and we're having another like dedicated scene to the two of them arguing about similar things. I don't know. I don't know what you two thought. But for me, this was the point where I was like, OK, I'm like, can we pause this subplot for now or, you know, divert somewhere else? That was just me anyway. Yeah, I don't really want to say too much because I know you're watching through this for the first time, Adam. Yes, but, um, yeah. Su- yeah. Suffice to say that uh, this this plot line isn't going anywhere. <laughs> Yay! No, no I'm, all, I'm all for it sticking around. I just hope in future episodes, and again, um, I'm sure I'll find out, but I, I just hope it's, for me at least, just my personal viewing habits, I just hope it's told in a in a way that I guess appeals to me better. But, you know, we'll see. I'll see. Yeah, I'll see I mean, I think... Um, it is it's a very close line to to track because it's uh, it does need to kind of be there for the for the consistency of the character but there is there is this episode does feel like it's doing it a bit too much given that they already did quite a lot of it in the previous two episodes 
Um, yeah. So I don't know. I can't rem- It's been so long since I have seen the rest of the series, obviously, several times. But it's been so long that I can't remember how much it's in the rest of the episodes for this series. So I'm also kind of wondering how much this is going to be still in every single episode throughout every single episode or is it going to be reduced a little bit to uh, okay it's it's a thing that he has still and says and there might be the occasional line and jibe and and i'd be more comfortable with that than the level it is in this episode being continued sure. but we'll see yeah no for sure sure it's, it's all to come as they say it's all to come um we get to the hold where Lister's found uh, some of Rimmer's stuff, including golf clubs, and we start getting a little flashback sequence of them and playing golf. Nice to see Chris Barry again, um, because I, was just I don't think. Like, yeah, because yeah, I think in the last episode we don't see him at all, do we? Uh, yeah, I, I thought that he was done. I remember watching this, like I said, when it first went out, when I would have been about let's say fourteen, fifteen, um, yeah. and I remember them announcing that Chris Barry was leaving, and then when he does, oh, wow. Leave, um, he leaves in Stalk Me a Clipper, and then I'm pretty sure he's not in Ouroboros or Duck Soup. So I thought, oh, that's yes. it for him. Yeah, it's the last time we've seen Rimmer because he's left and we've got the new cast member in. Um, yeah. Of course, with with common sense, watching it now, you would think I would realise that there's scenes in the opening credits that I wouldn't have seen yet that are obviously from <laughs> yeah. this episode. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is in Ouroboros. Um, briefly, there is a quickly, flashback though, uh, to yeah. when they were on Red Dwarf and they, they encounter Kachansky in a corridor. Um, yeah. I think so... you're right on duck soup, though. I don't think yeah. he's seen in that at all. But um, so for both, well, both of you, were, you know, were, were watched this at, at the time. I mean, like you said, Mike. So they, you know, they say Chris Barry's leaving, or he's not going to be in it as much. Like at, at the time, was were people really like, like you said, like this is it? Then like he's he's not oh, coming yeah, back at was, all. It was hugely controversial because I mean, the, the show was the four main characters at that point that it had established. Um, yeah. But I remember that he he'd said he was leaving because. He wanted to focus on, and this will date it, he was focusing on the Britas Empire, if anyone remembers that oh, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Phil, he still <laughs> had the Britas Empire as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good so he left because like, he was the lead in that show and he wanted to kind of focus on that. And was so, and then he gave some of the usual stuff about, I don't want to be typecast and whatever else. Um, yeah. So he like officially had said, this is this is me done with the show. And uh, Chloe Annette was announced as the new cast member and that was it going forward as far as we knew. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember what other people thought about it at the time because I, I didn't talk to anybody else about Red Dwarf at the time because though you know I wasn't on the internet, I didn't nobody at school. I mean, they might have watched it, but we didn't. It wasn't something we talked about in the playground or anything. Um, and uh, and yeah, I didn't really read anything about it either, so I didn't really have any advance notice of it because I didn't read any press about it. Because I would have been, well, I would have been about 12, I think. 1997 was this. Yes. Yeah, I would have been about 12. So, um, yeah, it was, I don't recall what other people thought. But I was just like, oh, Rimmer's gone. That's that's sad. But at the time, I think I quite liked, uh, and I I still do like uh, Kachansky as well. Hmm. Now, it's interesting watching it back now because um, I've gotten... During this rewatch, especially, I'd gotten used to and invested again in the first Kachansky. And then mm. so it's it's again a bit jarring, even though she, this Kachansky was kind of my first Kachansky. Now yeah. I've done that rewatch. It's it's again bizarre that she's not Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> well, she I, is I mean, Scottish. I... The character well, is yeah. still Scottish. She's still from Glasgow, but she doesn't have a Scottish accent. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this when, obviously, because, as you know, Mike, this is my first time through the series full stop. So um, when Kachansky is played by a different actor, I mean, yes, you you could sort of explain it. This is like an alternate, you know, dimension or whatever. So, of course, she looks different and possibly sounds different. But, yeah, no, I was uh, was a bit... I was... It's taking some time. I do like, like, I'm warming to her with every single episode I see her in. But, yeah, it's, it's that... I guess it's that thing of it's 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 something all of us sci-fi fans have to deal with. It's change, and we don't like change. Yeah. But um, See, nah, but we yeah. I would be fine with it, but I think this episode is one of the better examples of like when they completely change the character into somebody she's not. Like I'm fine with. Okay. Okay, she's now she's now English, and she's maybe a little bit different than you know pop star Claire Grogan's version of uh, yes, yeah. But it's when she goes over the top posh, and it's like, oh, we'll all hum a bit of an opera, and we'll all try to guess it, and I'm like. This isn't oh, the magic the flute same bit, character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think they even call her Kachansky, you know. They picked yeah. up on the the fact that she was an officer and then went with the sort of office officer stereotype, didn't they really with that, mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I've I've got a few qualms about that scene and I'll mention it when we get there, but um yeah. just the last thing I wanted to mention about that flashback when they're playing golf is is it just me or did Lister's helmet have no visor? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Again, watching that, that might just have been my eyesight, but I swear to God, there was like one seat, the bit, the shot where he's talking to Crichton, and I swear that helmet has no visor. Um, but hey, that's that's probably just me. I wonder if that's an uncompleted visual effect. Maybe they were going to add it with CGI and forgot or something. <laughs> or maybe, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll have to go back now to double check. But I just, I, I noted it because I just saw it and it's that pernickety sci-fi fan of me that was like, why has he not got a visor? But I, I could, I could. If you know if you know this episode, let us know in the comments. <laughs> Just be like, Adam, you're wrong. Um, but yeah, I, th- one thing as well, they do another flashback where we where they're playing um, the you know the locker game. You get whatever's in the locker, and Lister specifically mentions that this is the early days. You know, implying when he and when it was just him. At, do you know what yeah. I mean? Is that what he's implying? I think I, like the early I, think days I know post- where you're going with this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on about his uniform. His uniform is wrong. Yeah, why is it not the great <laughs> uniform? Yeah, yep. yeah, it's it, really was annoying. Was it lost? Cause, was it destroyed? Because so. he, he, I mean, they were still on Red Dwarf when he stopped wearing the great, the kind of beige uniform. But he was, he was never in the padded uniform on no. Red Dwarf. He was in the kind of green shiny thing for a bit. So yeah, it, that that I got that down as a note as well. I was like, this is this yeah. is inconsistent continuity. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. again in Red Dwarf, which we it's even come weirder to because don't they? Sorry, don't they at the end in the Rimmer sort of uh, that we'll get to the musical thing? Don't they have like all of the versions of his costume except for the beige in that anyway? So presumably yeah. they have got them. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do they, they do, all just hate beige. So. They they have the green version in that song yeah. as well. So. Yeah. Don't know why they didn't use that one because then they were at least on Red Dwarf then. But hey, yeah, there you go. Do, I, I quite like the little locker flashback scene though. It, yeah. I preferred it to the golfing one purely for like the comedy as well. Yeah, it did look a little cheap because it was quite yeah. obviously a set. Oh um, god, yeah. <laughs> like they they, oh, yeah. Did, they hadn't even built the walls up enough that you could see like you could see the backdrop, the just yes, black backdrop. Yeah. So it, it obviously looked like it was in a studio. So. 
Yeah. It did. I was. Yeah. I made that exact note, just that it looked like they pulled a bunch of lockers into BBC Studio B or whatever, and just hadn't bothered with anything else. <laughs> yeah. Cobble it together. That's that's British sci-fi in a nutshell, isn't it? Throw it together. Hope no one notices. It's also um, um it, it's also one of the other moments that horribly dates the episode because I made a note that I found it quite amusing that um when Lister's finding all the great stuff and like jewelry and stuff and then he goes, oh and look, a nude wrestling video. And he's got like an old oh, VHS yes, yeah. here. And I was like, wow. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, what, what century are they from originally? Someone like the 23rd or something, 22nd? Yeah. And yeah, they're still using VHSs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the way it's going, you know, that we'll end up back with magnetic tape and it's it's all gonna come. But it's not even it's not even a triangular shaped VHS like they I had missed in the series triangle one. VHSs, yeah. They were well, cute. They were novel. So <laughs> um but after that flashback and after a bit more of the reminiscing, we're we're in the cockpit and um Ace Rimmer, or the regular Rimmer if you like, seemingly returns. Um Yeah, for a first time viewer. Um, I was a bit shocked because obviously this, you know, comes out, doesn't come out of nowhere. They've been talking about him, but you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I certainly wasn't expecting him just to appear. Um, obviously you two know, must have known like where, where this was going. Um, I guess I kind of knew this wasn't sort of really happening, but mainly for at first, mainly cause I was like, where's the H on his head? Um, which they don't mention, of course. Um, it soon beca- it becomes abundantly clear. Um, but before we reveal, maybe to those who were like me, uh, who were watching this for the first time, do you two enjoy this little this little scene? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was funny. And actually, I couldn't, I didn't remember initially where it was going um, until a few minutes, well, a minute or so into it, and then I remembered what happens at the very end of the scene, and I was like, oh, and that that must be. Yes, no, that, 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 yeah. And then I remembered yeah. what, what actually happens. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Mike? What do you think? Uh, it's my least favourite scene. I didn't enjoy it at all. I just think it's, oh, that's the, cheapest, fair. To, it's the cheapest possible joke to go to, like, uh, oh, two men kissing. Hilarious. It's like, oh, do we Yeah, have to I go? suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We I think we mentioned this with Duck Soup, because obviously there's that bit where Kachansky sort of, you know, tricks Lister into thinking that her version of him was, was gay, and obviously he's, like, repulsed mm. by that and stuff. And me and Phil have said before, not just on that, of, of various uh, talking points, if you like, you know, how this was made 25 years ago and it was a different time, et cetera, et cetera. And you're right. Yeah. Obviously it's the, it's the laugh of ha ha. He kissed him and now he's like sweating in his bed. But you know what? I, I don't think the laugh comes from, it's not that, Oh, he kissed a man. That's not what's funny about mm. it. It's the, it's these, dis, his disgust doesn't come yeah, from the fact it, that he kissed a man. Even his yeah, disgust yeah, comes yeah. from the fact that he kissed Rimmer specifically it's Rimmer. and he yeah, hates yeah. Rimmer. He hates, and that's, yeah, it, that's, it, the shock, that's yeah. why it's funny. And that's why it's, I don't think it's at all problematic or anything like that because it's, it's, it's not a disgust at kissing a man. It's, it's disgust because it's Rimmer. It's Rimmer of all people. I mean, I did before it. It was revealed that that was that was the joke. I quite liked the fact it was just like a quieter moment, if you like, because I th- I think Red Dwarf, obviously being a comedy, you know, comedies tend to be very like uh, pacey and quite loud and in your face with with the comedy. But I've always liked it in Red Dwarf. What I've seen so far, when they just allow characters, usually Lister and Rimmer. Uh, to have like just a quieter moment where they chat and stuff. Mm. So I no, I can't. Even though this turned out to be a dream. I kind of liked it. Yeah, and for for that reason, I'm a little bit disappointed it was a dream because the way that Rimmer was in that scene, 
Uh, it just feels like that next step for his character evolution that he'd gotten since the end of the last series, that he'd been gradually getting until it put, took the po- to the point where he took on the role of Ace. Uh, that yes. felt like, oh, that's actually a really good next step for how his character would act. He's kind of this in-between. He's not Ace. He's not like the cocky Ace, but he's not. Yeah. He's more sort of confident in himself than he was when he was previously on the ship it just felt like really nice middle ground and it's just kind yeah, of a yeah. shame that that wasn't real yeah yeah i think it, it it's one of the things that they do thankfully follow up on though without wanting to get too spoilery and um sure, my favorite sure. my favorite scene in the most recent the sort of movie that they released was kind of the way that lister and rimmer have accepted their relationship and a really nice like quiet scene that's not not played for laughs um mm, yeah but yeah even rimmer kind of finding his own confidence i think gradually happens throughout the rest of what's left of the series for you guys to watch so no no um, I'm, I, well yeah. i'm looking forward to that for sure yeah. yeah um but as as uh as you said phil lister's horrified that he dreamt of kissing rimmer so he goes to Crichton for help he wants to find out what's going on which leads to another world war Two reference would you believe <laughs> um I must admit, I did find this joke quite funny, though, purely because, obviously, yep. it, it's so unexpected. It's just Robert Llewellyn bellowing in a German accent for no real reason. Uh, what does he say? It's my German language disc. Uh, it's a segment from the, the bloody Nuremberg speech, of all things. Um, I, I swear, D- Doug Naylor must have, like, been a student of World War Two history or something. He must have studied World War Two yeah. history at uni because the amount of times he goes to the references to this to Hitler... Is is uh, is a lot. Yeah, yeah I did I think, like the think, joke though. So yeah, I was going to say I think the joke here isn't so much World War or Hitler. It's just that the German language just sounds so dang aggressive. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's definitely. the worst when you when you're calm and sort of oh let me put on the hypnosis tape and then just German language blares at you and as he says <laughs> it's definitely hypnotic, sir, but not in the way we're looking for. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I thought that was a great line, and Robert Llewellyn always does a good spin on those lines as well, I find, when he gets them, so nice that he got yeah. one here. Um, and then Kachansky comes in, Crichton's worst enemy at this point, um, and they have a little chat, and, and again, it's another, for the most part, it's another, like, quieter moment, really, isn't it? Like, how she's sort of breaking down Rimmer's uh, relationship to Lister and stuff. I don't know. Again, I, I I just quite liked it that, especially for these two, since Kachansky is or this Kachansky is relatively new uh, to this team. I, I like the fact she it's not just all either arguments or just played for laughs that she can have these moments with them to just to just talk. I guess. Yeah, and it, and like Mike was saying earlier on, it's a really nice moment that kind of delves into the relationship that Lister and Rimmer had and what why it was important and why he was brought back and how it kept Lister sane and and it really helps him sort of sort Lister sort things out in his head yeah 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 exactly. what did, did you like it mike this scene yeah it's Lister's moment of realization because i think the key line in the scene is just when she's explaining well imagine how that was for rimmer and that he couldn't help it but he was doing you this favor and i think um, craig charles just goes i i, I didn't know you know <laughs> i didn't appreciate yeah. it because i didn't know yeah. at the time and uh, I think coming to that realisation uh, is such a huge moment because obviously they probably thought this was going to have to wrap up the whole Lister-Rimmer thing, so that would have been a good button on it. Um, but yeah, it's mm. it's nice that Kachansky, like I said, it would have been annoying had she kind of come in and still been angry at him for blowing her chance to get yes. back to her universe or whatever. So the fact that she has yeah. that, that moment, that beat, and then she's kind of over it, and the next scene she's kind of, oh, don't worry, I'm sure you'll get another chance to mess it up and 
and she's willing to kind of talk to him on a human level. Um, and it develops that character mm. a bit more as well, rather than just being the, ooh, look, it's a woman among us type jokes, um, that she actually has something to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I wish, like I, like you said, I think her talking to him about Rimmer and that realisation, I wish that had been like a button up to the scene. Uh, leading into the games and I think rather than mm. then Crichton coming in she makes a joke about shoving uh, some sour cream up his ass or whatever it is oh. and then Crichton, you know we get another I minute like, of I Crichton like that, being paranoid I like that because I'm pleased that Kachensky has at least one moment where she's giving it back because the episode's purely Crichton's perspective and him like airing his gripes and how terrible she is so I was glad that she finally stood mm. up for herself with the whole uh, have you ever been aware how to remove warm salad cream from a mechanoid's ass cavity? <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah. give a bit back instead yeah. of him being a jerk all the time, you know? Yeah, that is true. Yeah, it's nice that she gives it back. Yeah, I just, because th- maybe it was because at that point I'd grown a bit weary of the whole, oh, you know, Crichton's complaining about mm. Kachansky again for like the third or fourth <laughs> proper time in the episode. But um, um, what did you think, Phil? Would, did you enjoy like that little Crichton bit, or did you think that scene should have wrapped up after Kachansky and Lister's chat? Um, well, it made sense that um, I could kind of see where it was going to go with Crichton coming in and being annoyed that basically he what he was trying to do in helping Lister, she had come in and done where he'd failed, and I can I knew that was going to annoy him. So I, I knew it was coming. I didn't mind it too much. But it, like you say, it is another moment of them, their conflict. Um, yeah, yeah, it was all yeah. right. I, d- I actually well, liked the, uh, like Mike said, I liked her fighting back a bit here. That was that yeah. was a bit different. Sure. Well, we segue into the to games night on Infamous Starbuck. Infamous games night. Infamous games night. And Kachansky suggests the magic flute where you guess the aria of an opera. Now, the... My thoughts, this is purely just, you know, my comedic subjective take or whatever, but I have little to no interest in comedy when it's, I guess, like, uh, I need to word this correctly. Uh, Comedy can be great when it's digging at, like, you know, the upper class, when, you know, you know, sort of showing the privilege for what it is, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I think that can be done well. But when it when it's like a posh person just describing, like, an activity like that yes Crichton and cat like rip into it but i don't know i just i i found it a bit of a slog and the minute i sort of clocked on what kind of joke it was i just switched off from it really yeah so i mean for i just trying to get at what you're saying there are you saying that because it's it's not about her privilege or anything it's about the fact that uh that it's just it's just something she enjoys and they're kind of ripping into the fact that she enjoys it yeah kind of it's like i mean if you've ever seen um I get one for the Doctor Who fans. I'm sure you've both seen Canine and Company or are mm. aware of it. Yes. Um, you know Sarah I have, Adam. We reviewed it together. I know you have, Mike. <laughs> I'm baiting you into this. Yeah, me and Mike have previously spoken on uh, different podcasts about this in depth. Um, but there's obviously the characters, uh, Sarah Jane's, well, it's not a family. You know, you know, Mike, the people who Sarah Jane meets at the house. Like, I can't remember their yeah, names, the, but the, the posh the people. The village sort of, um, yeah, village elders, as it were. <laughs> yeah, like some people find them really endear it like they are just they are like posh people personified and they chat about oh we're going to play this and and do that and just you know that works for some people i just don't like that when pot when posh characters are just describing activities they do right. i don't know what it is i just i just switch off from a comedic point i just switch off from it really I, I think it's funnier in reverse that's the weird thing it just it doesn't really work but it would work better if it was kind of like the jokes about them like oh shall we play guess the the 
smell or something, and her being disgusted by that, that's amusing. Yeah. But her her saying like, oh, we're going to guess operas, and them looking at her like she's crazy, isn't as funny for some reason. Yeah, no, I'd yeah, I'd probably say say to that as well. I mean, what did you think, Phil? Did you did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, yeah, it was okay. I there were. I'm trying to think if I like I didn't I wasn't laughing out loud at it. I didn't find it particularly funny, but it didn't it didn't bug me either. It was kind of just a scene to get through and that was okay. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. No, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I just thought this whole like cuz that is the majority of the scene just about Kachansky describing this thing and I don't know, like for me I probably I would have either done something different with it or maybe cut that scene for favour of something else. I'm not sure what, but yeah, for me, it just didn't. When Crichton came in and told him to go to the AR room, I was like, oh, good, we're, we're doing something else, personally. But yeah. Yeah. I'm sure some of you liked it. Um, so yeah, on that, they do go to the AR room, to which uh, Crichton has prepared something for them. It's the Rimmer experience. Now, Adam, uh, can you remember when we did Rimmer World and you said you thought it was going to be a Rimmer theme park and oh, i God. and i was like just you wait <laughs> this is <laughs> the moment i was it, talking man, about should... oh god <laughs> did you say you just watch rumor world mike no no i just watched the episode yeah where you guys review that and as soon as oh. Philip said that i knew exactly what he was remembering. <laughs> <laughs> oh man Philip, well, Phil has to do this in a way on the show. Like, there'll be moments where he knows something's coming up and he'll be like, ah, just you, just, just you wait. wait. This is coming back. <laughs> Always a good time. So, yeah, the Rimmer experience. Um, hard to know where to start with this, really, isn't it? Um, for those who, I guess, maybe aren't familiar or have, uh, haven't seen it in a while, Crichton has basically made, like, a uh, amusement ride um, of Rimmer... Based on his diaries, I believe, isn't it? Like uh, yeah. describing his life, his experiences, and it's. Uh, it's, it's I think it's, it's what's it's referred to something. in the theme park world as a dark ride. So you're on a, yes, a moving, yeah. moving thing, and there's the scenes going on around you and uh, and things. What made me laugh though, and I don't know if you two saw this, like you know, before they go in, before the doors open, the shots of them in the in the car is clearly like been you know they've done it against a blue screen because it's you know it's bobbing up and down all the time like they're in space or something and then when they're in the ride i I know they're probably on tracks but sort of like what you said earlier mike how in the locker flashback you can sort of see that or one of you said it about you know seeing the studio wall or something you can just you can see that they're on the floor you can see the floor which i guess they get away with a little bit because you know you could argue they're on tracks but I just found it was a weird choice to go from bobbing around very obviously. It's not, you know, it's not a subtle bob. They are bobbing around. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I didn't really notice it either, but I was just too busy um, just just applauding how brazenly they'd ripped off this holodeck from Star Trek and hadn't cared about it. So <laughs> I was oh, aware see, of the I'm kind not, of I'm not a Trekkie, you see, so that would ah. be... Yeah, so oh, fair enough. If they've if they've blatantly ripped off something, then yeah, you you call them out for it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see Chris Barry giving a nice little nice little monologue about Rimmer, and then we see some played out scenarios. And I love what they've done with the characters here. You know how Rimmer's been like made up to look like a slightly, I don't know what you call it, like slightly more Hollywood. Maybe? Yeah, sort of chiseled jaw. He's got some some yeah. makeup on that makes him look like a chisel. She's got a chiseled jaw. He's got sort of standing very upright with this uh, elaborate sort of general costume on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Looking and everyone's got dashing teeth. And the characterization. I mean, I thought the actors did a great job for this. I don't know what you two thought. Like that first scene, especially you've got 
you've got Danny John Jules and Craig Charles doing their like fake driving and Chris Barry on form, Robert Llewellyn in his little <laughs> maid's outfit. In, like... a, in a gingham dress. I I don't know if that was a deliberate reference back to quarantine or not, but I, I thought it was probably a reference back to quarantine, that gingham dress and the hat. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know really what was going on. I was just in a in a in a world of my own. So yeah, this I mean this whole this whole sequence in the in in the Rimmer experience. Um uh, well, I, we've got to talk about the song. The song, I love <laughs> oh, yeah. the song. Yeah. If you're in trouble, he will save the day. He's brave and he's fearless. Come what may, without him the mission would go astray. He's and it made it made me think instantly of um, the Munchkins from The Wizard of Oz. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think so, I've seen I've seen these referred to as Munchkin Rimmers a lot in in various online things. So. Yeah. How how do you rate the song, Mike? Is it one of the? Oh, I, I mean, love it. we've had a few songs so far in Red Dwarf. I think I personally prefer Tongue Tied still because Tongue Tied is oh, you know yeah. a classic, but. This, I thought oh, yeah, this one was fun. It's not a good song, don't get me wrong. The the, the reason that I love it is because the, ly- the lyrics are so blatantly terrible that they seem like they could absolutely have been written by Rimmer, which is how I read the kind of like, he, he, he did this. Because even when you have like little weird half rhymes just to fit, like he's never been mistaken for Yule Brunner, it's got nothing to do yes, with anything. <laughs> I know, that is my favourite line of it. He's, he's never been mistaken for your Brenner. He's not bored and his head doesn't glimmer. It's great. Yeah, that's so Rimmer. So just like he has to find there. everything yeah. to rhyme. He'll just start making, yeah. he'll start saying things that don't make no sense. So I absolutely love this. It is my favourite song of the show, I think. when, Like you say, they've had a few musical numbers now and tongue tied is really good but i do i think this one pips it not for just for the comedy i think the comedy is so much uh, higher in this one okay yeah the other one may be technically a better song but i just i love this and the visuals that go with it and everything it's just brilliant (laughs) no i was thinking it's my overriding memory of the episode when you told me which episode i was reviewing i was like it's the one with the arnold rimmer song and the little munchkin rimmers um that is (laughs) like i I didn't remember any of the rest of the episode and for some reason i thought this was like a much longer thing and then when i rewatched it um you know last week realized this was literally just the last sort of two or three minutes and was like oh why is my memory that this is like the whole episode you know (laughs) oh my god could you imagine that like the a whole Rimmer episode musical. just being this, oh. yeah, a Rimmer musical, yeah, full on musical dance numbers, everything. Perhaps with good reason they didn't go down that route, but um, it's, it turns out the song was so terrible, uh, and the whole experience was so terrible that when they come out, Lister is effectively cured, isn't he? he he's bad mouthing Rimmer once again. Yeah. No love lost there. So yeah. we're, you know, seemingly at the end of this episode. I know you've both mentioned that um, their sort of their relationship with each other gets touched on again but seemingly in the end of this episode well everything's back to normal you know lister object yeah. um, openly hates rimmer all is Crichton's happy because what does he say sigmund freud eat your heart out i never want to see or hear from that scum sucking lion weasel minded smegger in my entire life sigmund freud eat your heart out i Which think um, the line. thing that yeah it's, it's not so much I mean, he's obviously annoyed at the sort of Munchkin Rimmers and the, the bigging him up song and stuff. But the thing that sold it for me was Craig Charles's fake acting in the scenes that he's he's viewing when Rimmers obviously written things that happen completely differently. So he's like the heroic yeah. uh, square jawed hero. And then Craig Charles's delivery of just, I'm scared. I think I'm going to wet me kex. 
who's just so so amusing and then Mister's <laughs> absolute just disgust watching this was brilliant. <laughs> no, it was mad. It's just that that whole sequence, like there's moments like that in Red Dwarf, isn't there, where like you just sort of watch yeah. it and then you just sort of sit back in your chair and go, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I'm here I'm here for it. So yeah. <laughs> But there we I go. I think they and they slightly spoiled it by um by by telegraphing the joke though when uh when Lister says, oh, I feel sick, and then Crichton says, oh, yes, the ride's very bumpy, and he goes, no, it's what I'm seeing that's making me sick, and I'm like, you don't yes. need that line, we all gathered what was <laughs> Yeah, we all got the impression. <laughs> Talking um, about bumpy rides, though, apparently, according to the uh, infamous IMDB trivia section, they uh, they were quite, that was, they weren't acting so much when they were, like, swaying and reacting to getting buffeted about because they really were and they came away with bruises after the end of that i mean it did seem very rickety whatever they were using so <laughs> yeah oh. feel for the actors on that one and um after that disdain you know they've come out sigmund freud at your heart out the episode ends right there one of the classic red dwarf right and we're done endings yep. um <laughs> i kind of like this one though because obviously it makes sense and you've just had this big musical number so it doesn't feel uh, I don't know if you've heard in some of our previous episodes Mike that, that we've we've had some endings of Red Dwarf where yes they're very quick but they sort of feel unjustified you know or too or literally just yeah. and now we've finished. Uh, this one yeah. I like this one. I like the fact this one was just yep and we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah it works it works quite well here. It still seemed quite abrupt but it works because that's the end of the story being told. Um but I do yeah. want to quickly shout yeah. out just before just before the end, a really cool visual gag that I noticed, and it's not normally something that I spot, but the fact that Rimmer's theme park, as they're leaving, has Toodle Pipsky written on the exit. Oh, yes, yes, I saw genius. that. Yes. <laughs> nice little yeah. touch, isn't it? It's like, they didn't have to yeah. do that, but they, yeah. they nice they went the extra mile. Toodle yeah, exactly. Pipsky. <laughs> and with a Toodle Pipsky, that is um, Series 7, Episode 5, Blue, which I'm assuming, by the way, is just referring to the fact that Lister was feeling blue because there's not really yeah. a like on the nose mention of the color blue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, was I, like, I think it's blue as in the emotion, mean. as in like yeah, oh, yeah I'm feeling blue. I'm feeling blue. Yeah. Oh, at least we're on the same page there. Um, so we're on to our regular segments then. So uh, Mike, our first regular segment that we do is uh, choosing our favorite character from the episode. Can be one of the regulars. And I would say one of the side characters, but I don't think we really got any in this one. I think it was just the yeah. main cast. So, um, who was your favourite character this episode? Well, I, I already I already asked Phil if he would accept this as an answer, uh, and he oh, said right. that was fine. So I'm going to have to go with it. My favourite character in this episode is the little Munchkin Rimmers, just <laughs> just for comedy value. I mean, I was tempted to go with Rimmer himself because even in the flashbacks and some of the more serious scenes, uh, he's quite good. But no, yeah. it's it's all about the really ridiculous looking little Rimmer hologram things. <laughs> <laughs> they sell the moment. Nice, nice choice. Uh, Phil, what about yourself? Are you are you joining the Munchkin hype? Uh, not specifically the Munchkins, but the Munchkins do form a part of it. Because I'm just going for Rimmer overall, just in all forms that he takes in yeah. this episode. Uh, the Munchkins are definitely part of that. Uh, the, him in in like the the fake version of him in the ride as well, where he's being all heroic and and like he isn't in real life, and also the flashback scenes were really nice to see him again. The dream mm. sequence as well, how he was in that scene, I really liked. So yeah, I'm going with Rimmer. Nice, nice choice. Well, I'm actually going to go for um, Lister myself, uh, mainly for for Craig Charles and how he performed this one, just because. 
like we've seen it a lot so far in series seven. What I like is Lister has been given more. Obviously, again, this is a comedy, so comedy is is the dominant. But I like how Lister's been given more moments that are a bit not necessarily more serious, but you know, just aren't comedy, whether it's emotional or just to reflect or whatever. And um, yeah, I just thought Craig Charles smashed it, like you said. Uh, Mike, that scene with him in Kachansky where he has that sort of realisation, I thought he played really well. And the, even the comedy moments he played really well. So yeah, I'm going to give it to, to Lister for this one. Nice one, we all have different choices. Sometimes we do these with guests, Mike, and we all end up picking the same thing. But sometimes it's hard if there's like a big, big, big yeah. standout. But um, we'll move on to our second segment then, which is funniest moments. So for this one, Mike, this can literally be, this could be a full scene. This could be a line, a few seconds. Uh, yeah. yeah, whatever you want, really. So I, uh, what was it for I you? Could, I couldn't choose between, so you'll have to forgive me that I've got... Um, no problem, the no obvious, problem. Uh, the obvious funniest moment would be the, the Rimmer World thing. But that feels redundant because I've already pointed out that I love those little characters and stuff. Um, so instead, I noticed, I think, three little jokes that I thought were really good from the episode. Um, yeah, yeah. The first, the first one was um, Lister used to practice on hooking a bra on his grandma's chair. So every time he sees a Parker Knoll, he gets horny. Which I, yes. I don't know why I found that funny, but yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was a good gag. Yeah, the hilarity as well of like, oh, we've got 45 seconds before we're going to crash. Then they crash and Kachansky goes, that wasn't 45 seconds. And Kat's reply is, oh, I'm sorry, I was reading the big potato timer. By me. Yes, yes. <laughs> Again, dumb, yeah. but just really, really funny. Um, yeah. yeah, I can't remember what the other one, uh, there was one other joke. Oh, yeah, the oh, other joke okay. was um, Kachansky as, as she's coming into the at the start of the episode and says, uh, I had this really weird dream about a monkey being stretched across tennis court. Noise was just unbearable. Were you practicing the guitar again last night? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> just proving the Lister can't play guitar, the poor sod. No. Exactly, yeah. All good choices, though. Happy to have all yeah. those three. Um, Phil, was yours any one of those three or was it something else? Uh, mine entirely? was between two. One is uh-huh. definitely the song, um, yeah. and the other one is the dream. I think. Um, okay. I, yeah. I'm. I don't know which one to go for. Um, I'm trying to think which one made me laugh out loud more because I did laugh out loud on both of them. Um, okay. I would just point. I would just point out that only one has the line. His command of space directives is uncanny. That is. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'm going for the dream. Uh, not the dream. I'm going for the um the song. The song is uh, gets my funniest moment. <laughs> what about you, Adam? Well, mine's sort of a uh, similar to you. I, I'm just gonna go with the whole uh, Rimmer experience, to be honest, because I for those last few minutes I was sat there bemused, but in the best way. Like I was laughing at everything that was happening. It was all insanity. There's the song, the little scenes I really like because they're so daft. It was just, yeah, it might seem obvious, but it, it for me, it was definitely the pinnacle. Close second had to go, and this might sound odd, but close second would have to go for the Nuremberg joke because of just how, how much it did yes. make me laugh and Robert Llewellyn's delivery. But no, if I'm being honest, I've got to give it to the Rimmer experience yeah. for that one. So great moments. Well, finally then, Mike, our, our last recurring segment is we rate each episode out of 10 scutters. So how many okay. scutters out of 10 would you give this story? And we do accept 0.5s. <laughs> okay, um, well, I haven't done that. But um, yeah, so I, I had a, th- a big think about this. And I'd, I would say that it's not really, it's, it's not prime Red Dwarf. I've seen much better episodes. And like uh-huh. you guys alluded to, I think it's quite a lot of plodding at the start, particularly. Um, yeah. But I, as I was thinking, would I kind of, would I say pass, fail, hit or miss? I would have to say hit purely because... 
all the scenes with Rimmer and the serious chat about Rimmer, I think put it over the top, as well as obviously the end bit, but that's a bit short for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I went with the six scutters out of ten was my score oh, for nice. this. Nice. No, that's fair enough. Uh, Phil, what about yourself? Are we in the same ballpark? Uh, close. I I felt that I, my memory of this episode was probably uh, higher than I actually have given it in the end, partly because there were some moments that weighed it down a little bit, but everything with Rimmer in was great. So all the flashbacks, and I said this when I said he was my favourite character as well, the dream sequence, and especially the song. The song just gives it a whole extra point just by itself because it's so amazing. So I'm going to give yeah. it a seven. Seven. Nice. Okay, well, <laughs> would you believe it? I'm actually going in the middle of you two. I gave it 6.5. Hey. Um, but uh, for many of the same reasons you've both mentioned, particularly like what you said, Mike, how you know we mentioned it was ploddy at the beginning, um and for me again some of the jokes didn't land like the whole game night scene didn't really land for me at all um some of the other jokes as well but yeah anything with rimmer the quieter moments of this story and the rim world experience did really make me laugh but yeah on the whole outside of the whole rimmer experience thing i don't see this as especially since i'm going through this as the for the first time aside from the rimmer experience i don't think i'd really remember this episode for anything else if that makes sense like if you just said the episode title at me, I'd go, oh yeah, the Rimmer experience, but probably struggle to remember much else. So yeah, I'm giving it 6.5. Not not the worst, you know, but not not the best either. Yeah, like you said, we might, we've, um, we, I think we've all certainly seen better. But yeah, there we go. Well, folks, that was our review of uh, Blue, episode five from series seven. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, but before we go, Mike, where can the good people of this podcast uh, check out yourself, your work? Just feel free to shout out um, any social medias, any projects you're working on. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, I'm on Twitter at Iron Mike Wilson. Um, so you can always find me. That's my personal Twitter. Um, I also have a Star Trek um, review and rewatch podcast just called Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Um, and that has a Twitter page at H-O-M Trek. Uh, and I've also just started a movie review podcast called Silver Screen Podcast. Um, and that is linked to via at podcast underscore screen on Twitter. Um, and again, that's probably got a handful of episodes uh, so far for you to check out if you are so inclined. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. And um, Phil, where can people find you? As usual, you can find me on my YouTube channel, which you may be listening to this podcast on. Um, but if you are listening on Apple or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then do check out my YouTube as well, which is just my name. It's Philip Hawkins 1L. Um, you'll be able to find me. I talk about Doctor Who a lot and Star Trek and MCU and other stuff. And this podcast is on there. So um, do check that out. Thank you. And... Um... For me, it's just Adam Martin on YouTube with a Y if you want to check out my stuff and uh, Adam Martin AMTV on Twitter if you want to give me a follow. And also, if you like this podcast or you're a regular listener, give us a follow on Twitter. We have an account. It's at All Dead Dave Pod. You can follow us there for news on the show, for some occasional memes and just other lots of Red Dwarf goodness to go and give us a follow there. So yeah, that's another episode. So next week, uh, me and Phil will be back to talk about uh, Series 7, Episode 6, Beyond, uh, Beyond a Joke. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one. So from myself, from Phil, and from and from Mike, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.